Hello, and welcome to another Growth Masters Federal podcast on growing your business in the federal sector. Growth Masters Federal is a nationwide community of growth-oriented government contractors, their owners and executive teams, and the professionals who support them. The mission is to share experiences and discuss timely topics on planning and executing the most effective growth strategies in the complex, highly regulated, but opportunity-rich federal marketplace. Your host is Shirley Colliger, president and founder of Scale to Market. Scale to Market helps businesses think, plan, collaborate, and prosper in the federal marketplace by developing and executing comprehensive data-driven business development playbooks. The SBA's 8A program helps small businesses owned and controlled by socially or economically disadvantaged individuals compete for federal contracts. A myriad of assistance programs ranging from business training and counseling to SBA guarantees on loans, opportunities to acquire sole source contracts and access to ongoing marketing support by PTACs and other federal resources are aimed at helping aspiring federal contractors gain a foothold in the immense federal marketplace. But is this really a safe and secure path into the world of federal contracting? Is gaining 8A certification the best way for minority and disadvantaged entrepreneurs to launch their business or broaden their footprint to include federal contracts? Does being an 8A firm mean that federal contracting officers with set-aside requirements to fulfill will seek you out? Along with very real and significant advantages, the 8A program is also shrouded in mystery and myth for those as yet uninitiated in its nuance. In today's discussion, Shirley takes a deep dive into the program from the contractor's perspective with Devan Brown, an experienced entrepreneur who has taken his business into, through, and out of the program and has survived to tell the story. Devan's words of wisdom are born of experience and provide insight and illumination for those considering entering the program and those who may be wondering why it is more challenging than anticipated and how to steer their own ship onto a course toward success. And now here's your host, Shirley Collier, with her guest, Devan Brown. Enjoy the podcast. everyone, Shirley here. My guest today is Devan Brown, founder and CEO of SciQuest Business Solutions, a small government contractor in Atlanta. Devan started his business about 15 years ago, became 8A certified, graduated, and is now growing his business outside of the 8A program. Welcome, Devan. Thank you so much, Shirley. It is indeed a pleasure to be here with you and Happy New Year to you. Thank you. Same to you. So, Devanna, I only briefly introduced you. Tell us a little more about yourself and SciQuest. Sure, absolutely. I started the company back in 2004, so we've been in business for almost 15 years. Personally, I've worked in human resources for almost 30 years. Yes, I was kind of a baby when I started. (laughs) Yes, you were. (laughs) So it made sense for me to start a business based on my particular background, based on what I knew. Therefore, I started as a third-party administrator of retirement plans back in 2004 before branching out into some other areas of HR, including HR outsourcing, HR department development and design, HR management, as well as HR legal and compliance, providing retirement plan and employee benefits administration, clerical and administrative support solutions, 
providing short-term and long-term staffing support, developing and delivering employee training and development, and also providing project and program management support. Wow. That's kind of what we've been doing since 2004. Yep, yep, that's quite a bit. So today we're talking about your journey as a small government contractor in the highly competitive, highly regulated federal marketplace. Our goal here is to share your hard-earned wisdom, <laughs> learned through the School of Hard Knocks, in hopes of helping and inspiring others who are going down that same path. So first, take me back 15 years. How did you know about government contracting when you first launched your business? Well, that's, that's an interesting question, Shirley. Fifteen years ago, I knew absolutely nothing or very little about federal contracting. I mean, I worked in the commercial sector for a long time since I graduated college back in, back in the 80s, and I knew nothing about the very unique world of federal contracting. I worked for a federal contractor. I got a, got a job with a federal contractor here in Atlanta back in, I think, 2000, maybe late 1999, and that was kind of a crash course for me because I was the project manager for a large regional government facility here, here in Atlanta. So working for that particular contractor really provided a crash course for me in, you know, what, what this world is all about. And, again, I knew absolutely nothing about it. So it was um, a very rapid learning experience for me, but it was very um, not only unique but it was very beneficial because I think had I not gone through that, had I not learned that back in 2000, I don't think I would be in the position that I am now. Yeah. I really don't. Yeah. But, you know, upon leaving that position, I, I wanted to make sure that I knew everything possible about federal procurement and what it meant to be a federal contractor, you know, what that really entailed and what it looked like and how to become a good, a good federal contractor. So you quit your job and decided to start SciQuest at that point? Yes. Believe it or not, I, I did, which, of, of course, that is not for, for everyone. Everyone is not, not in a position to, mentally to, to do that. But I, I was. I was in a position to mentally, you know, quit, um, if, if nothing else. And I've been more of a risk taker all of my life, Shirley. Yeah. So for me to, to quit a, you know, a nice secure position really did not su surprise most of my friends because they know that I tend to be somewhat of a daredevil. <laughs> so, I, you know, I took, took a leap of faith, and, you know, at times it felt more like a death plunge, but, you know. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> yeah, that's an expected feeling when you're leaving something that's very comfortable, very secure, and stable for just the opposite with many, many unknowns and lots of uncertainty. So in addition to wanting to take on more risk, what were some of the driving factors in starting your, your first business? Yeah, so I've, I've always had an entrepreneurial drive, Shirley. I mean, even as a kid, you know, I think back to selling newspapers on my bicycle from door to door uh, <laughs> when I was, I don't know, 13, 14 years old. Yeah. With, my, with my first job right out of college, I felt like corporate America was probably not going to work out for me. Fortunately for me, it's something I realized, you know, back early on as opposed to waiting 20, 30 years and, you know, trying to get out of something that I've been in for a very, very long time. I just found it to be very, very rigid. It was too rigid for me. Yeah. I felt like I had little, if any, control over my own destiny. And I, I genuinely wanted 
you know, felt like I was destined destined to do more and to, to be more. So the primary driving factor was just a longing desire to be more and to be in a position to, to help others as well. So you jumped right in with both feet and you started a government contracting business, for heaven's sakes, (laughs) which is very hard for your first business. Uh, So so what sources of information about federal contracting did you find helpful in those very early stages? Well, keep in mind now, this was back in the late 90s, early 2000s that I worked for a federal contractor. The internet was was new and just just taken off, so there was lots of information available on the internet. So you know, I did lots of lots of research, lots of internet research, lots lots of studying. But also, there were some key organizations that really helped me along the way. The SBA helped me with my initial marketing strategy. They were very instrumental in helping me identify exactly what my goals and objectives were, and helping put together a, a detailed strategy. In attaining those goals and objectives. Yep. Counselors at SCORE provide free mentoring to prospective and established small businesses. They assisted me with creating operational processes that were lacking. Yep. And probably mo- most importantly, Shirley, I found that the Technical Procurement Assistance Center, oh, yes. I found them to be really beneficial as they help companies identify, compete for, and win government contracts. Here in Atlanta, it's the Georgia Tech Procurement Assistance Center, but there are over 300 TPACs nationwide, yep. one in or near every major city and major university. Yes, and their services are free. Their services are free. Yes, I, I refer a lot of businesses to the PTACs around the country. So knowing what you know now, how was your thinking back then misguided? Wow. Well, spending most of my career in the commercial sector, you know, I expected the government, the federal government, to use the same procurement methods when purchasing goods and services. You know, in the commercial sector, there's a need and someone is, is told to go out and purchase whatever is necessary to fulfill that need. Yeah. But my, my thinking was, you know, most misguided by not understanding how the government really purchases. The government does not necessarily purchase like that. My thinking was also misguided by not understanding the importance of marketing and establishing significant relationships. And, you know, since we were in the 8A program, unfortunately, like a lot of new 8A companies, we assume that with an 8A status, you know, there's going to be automatic revenue. You know, once you receive that certification, there will be manna from heaven, which... (laughs) That was just not the case. That is, that is certainly certainly not the case. Yeah. And, um, you know, also my thinking, I think, was misguided by assuming, surely, that everything in procurement and federal procurement is fair and equal. Ah. Fair and equal sounds good, doesn't <laughs> it? But <Yes. laughs> it's not always. That's, my experience has been that has not necessarily been the case. Yes. Um, so... What was your experiences that led you to the conclusion that federal procurement is not fair and equal? Well, almost all procurements go through a proposal cycle. So they solicit proposals, the proposals come in. It's kind of a lengthy evaluation process that's conducted typically by an evaluation team. So you'll find terms like best value, trade-offs, and LPTA. 
to me, they all leave room for some level of subjectivity. For instance, you know, there's a proponent who may believe that their proposed solution provides just a fantastic value to the government, and it, it may very well provide a fantastic value. But another evaluation may agree that that particular assessment may not warrant it that, you know, best value designation, so they may deem it to be XYZ company as opposed to, to ABC company. Again, it's just a lot of subjectivity. Yes. Yes, I hear that quite a bit. I also, a lot of small business owners tell me that they are surprised at how much effort goes into actually selling to government decision makers. You know, many yeah. many small businesses think that just responding to public solicitations like RFPs is enough. It gives them an equal chance at being awarded a federal contract. So has that been your experience as well? Well, initially that was my my thought process, but going through that process and surely submitting, you know, really good proposal after proposal after proposal and really not getting an award, I quickly learned, you know, after, you know, spending a lot of money on proposal development that that really was not working. You know, once the RFP comes out, it's really a little little bit too, you're behind the, the eight ball, you're behind the curve. Yes. So, you know, my experience has been if it's out there on the street, you're, you're too late. You know, you really need to get in early and talk to the decision makers about some of the requirements that you know are coming up, some that you may not know that are coming up, and correlate how your past performance, how your experience can really satisfy their, their needs. Yes. So when the RFP does come out, and they get your proposal, they know a little bit more about you other than what's presented on paper. Yes. Yeah, they have context Absolutely. for what's what's in your proposal. Yes, and they've seen you, you know, they, they've talked to you, and hopefully you've been able to, to really sell sell yourself yep. and to, to, to sell your story, you know, to, to really communicate that you understand what their needs are and that you have a you have the best solution. So that was a big lesson learned. But what would you say was your biggest lesson learned in growing your business and when did it happen? Well, it actually happened I think about 4 5 years ago. But it it took me probably two, 2 years into it to realize what was actually happening to me and the company, certainly. And that was, you know, most businesses, they will reach a plateau. And, you know, it's important to to realize that, one, that's going to happen. It happens to all businesses, no matter what the size is. And recognize as early as possible that you will probably need some help to advance to the next level. And really understand what that next level looks like and have an understanding of what that help entails, you know. Who, who will you need? Who, who can help you? Because, you know, you've gotten to a, to a certain point. You reach that plateau, but you've got to identify and you've got to have that assistance to really help you get to the next level. So, you know, recognizing early on as a business owner that, you know, as the business owner, you're responsible for moving the company, advancing the company to the next level via a very clear vision, having the right people, right positions and having the determination just to do what some others 
are not willing to do. I mean, that's what entrepreneurs do. Yep. If it were easy, everyone would, would be an entrepreneur. Yep. I think I'm here because I'm, I've been more of a risk taker in my life. Um, this, this is just an example. And fortunately, you know, most times that I've taken risks, it's worked out just fine. I, I risked jumping out of a plane at 14,000 feet a few years ago, and that, <laughs> that turned out with, that turned out well. You're still here. <laughs> I'm still here. <laughs> so give me an example of how you um, advanced the company, um, how you articulated your vision, and how you um, hired the right people to get you to the next level. Sure, sure. Well, as a small business owner, you know, at times, Shirley, I got caught up thinking, you know, I can do it all. I can, you know, I, this is my baby. I started it. I know what's best for the company. I can do it all. And nothing is really further from the truth. A lot of times, small business owners, I know this, this is the way it is with me, our egos can kind of get in the way, and we can become our own worst enemy. And when this happens, it's important to, to one, recognize it, and two, step back from the business and conduct a, an objective evaluation, such as, you know, de- determining what resources will you need to, to get to the, to the next level. Will that be is that money? Are we talking about people? If we're talking about people, what, what kinds of people? You know, I, I asked myself years ago, you know, do I need operational, functional individuals? Do I need people with business development? experience or do I need both? Yeah. And so it was only only when I stepped back Shirley and really just looked at my business from a ten thousand foot level that I was really able to take a look at it and say, you know, this is what I really need to go to go to the next level. Yep. Yeah, that's that's an important thought process is um in thinking about that and then putting it into action and it's not easy. It's not. It's not easy. Again, because we we think that we can do we can do it all. Yeah. And it's important to understand that that we that we can't. And it's important to surround ourselves with the people that can really help us. Yep. So we need to take a brief break. My guest today is Devan Brown, founder and CEO of SciQuest Business Solutions. When we return, we'll be discussing hiring key members of your firm to facilitate growth. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Today's discussion examining the pros, cons, and nuances of the SBA's 8A program is brought to you by Scale to Market, and your host is Shirley Collier. Scale to Market helps businesses thrive and grow in the federal marketplace by developing and executing customized, data-driven business development playbooks, and by partnering with business owners and executives in understanding and implementing successful, productive, and sustainable business development organizational infrastructure. Now back to our podcast, an interview with Devan Brown, founder and president of SciQuest Business Solutions, an Atlanta-based HR firm offering a broad range of HR staffing, management, and operations assistance in the private and federal marketplaces. Welcome back. So, Devan, before the break, we were talking about getting the right people on the bus. We know that no successful CEO can do it alone. So what did you do right in hiring key members of your firm, and what did you do wrong? 
Well, it, Shirley, this, this is one of the times that I, I feel it's okay to pat myself on the back. I don't do it very often, but I've been fortunate in, in that I've been able to identify, you know, good people and develop talent. You know, I understand the importance of, you know, finding the people and not, not rushing the process, i.e. hiring slowly but firing quickly. And at the beginning of the, of the hiring process, you need to, I ask open-ended behavioral questions, such as, tell me something that's not on your resume. That tends to throw people off sometimes. Or what are you passionate about? A candidate is really not expected to hear that kind of question in an interview. But answers to these questions or similar questions can tell you a lot about a person. Also, background gathering beyond what they present to you their personal references. Of course, they're going to provide three personal references. The references are going to provide, you know, stellar recommendations for them. Sure. But, you know, you'd be surprised what you find when you Google Google the candidate. <laughs> so I highly suggest, you know, Googling people that are coming in to talk to you about a position, especially in a, in a key role. Yeah. But, you know, once they're on board, you make sure that you communicate expectations. You know, let people know what you expect of them. If, if not, they kind of create their own expectations, which may oh, not yeah. meet yours. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, hold people accountable after they understand what's expected of them. After I've clearly communicated that, I am checking in to make sure that they understand that, you know, this is what I'm expecting of you, and I'm holding that person accountable, of course. Uh, so, so, Devan, um, during the interviewing process, Knowing what you wanted to do with your business, you wanted to take your business to the next level, what were the specific traits that you were looking for in these candidates? Well, there's several, actually. Probably number one for me, looking for people who had some sense of creativity, you know, people who have um, built something, who have created and it doesn't necessarily have to be a business realm. It could be something on, from an artistic perspective. But just people who are, who are creative, you know, people who are genuine. When you're talking to, to people, to candidates, I mean, you can, you can really tell, you know, who's genuine and who's not. You can tell who is going to, you know, walk the talk as opposed to just coming into an interview and just talking to you about you know how fabulous they are. Yep. But also, I look for people who who understand what it is that we're doing here at the, here at the company, and understand how important their roles are, and you know have them buy in to the importance of you know helping to advance the company. It's not not always about an individual, but it's it's about a team. I'm I'm real big on teams, and you know forming teams and motivating and encouraging teams, Shirley. Yes. So people, people understand exactly, you know, when they start. They know what I expect of them. They know what the risks and rewards are. And they just buy into that. And I, I, that's something I, I really look for before someone is leaving an interview, just to make sure that they, are, they understand who we are, what we do, the importance of the position that they're interviewing for, and the qualities that they bring to the role. Yep. Excellent. Excellent. So I want to go back to uh, 8A companies. 
and get your opinion on what is the biggest mistake that you see 8A companies making that prevents them from creating long-term value? Probably the, the biggest mistake that I have noticed, Shirley, is that when new companies enter into the 8A program, they really do not understand the purpose of the program. The government does not owe a small business anything because of its social economic status. That's just the way it is. A social economic status, use that as a marketing tool. I mean, because that's, that's what it is. Don't expect the government to give you anything. You know, becoming 8A certified and expecting the phone to start ringing off the hook, that does not happen. It, it just doesn't happen. When we were in the 8A program, Shirley, believe it or not, we received one unsolicited call in nine years. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Yes, one call in nine years. And it was for, for something that we, that we couldn't even do. It was right before the end of the fiscal year, and I guess they needed an 8A company, but it was, wasn't anything that we could really perform. So, no, the phone is not going to ring off the hook. When you're in the 8A program, one of the other mistakes I've seen companies make is waiting too long once you're in the program to really develop a concrete marketing strategy. Believe it or not, nine years ago, it can go by quickly. It did for us. So you need to go into the program, you know, thinking about, all right, this is year one. You know, what do I need to do? How do I use my 8A status to start growing my company and come up with a, a detailed strategy to move forward? And also not, not having an extra strategy at the end of the program because, again, nine years can go by fairly quickly. So you got gotten all these 8A contracts over the past nine years, you know, now you're graduating from the program, you're no longer eligible for these contracts, now what do you do? you got to be ready for that. So having a strategy to exit the program is also important. And so when do you think that strategy to exit should be in place? Well, the 8A program has two phases over a period of nine years. The first four years, that's considered the developmental stage, and the last five years is considered the transitional stage, I think it's important that an 8A company develops and begins implementing that transition plan probably between years five and six because, as I stated earlier, nine years tend to, to pass us fairly quickly, and we can be, you know, on in year eight and then year nine, and we don't have a strategy for exiting the program. So I'm thinking, you know, within the first couple of years of the transition stage, between years five and six, it's going to be the best time to really start looking at, you know, how do we transition out of the 8A program. Yep. Now, Devan, you mentioned earlier about using the 8A program as a marketing tool and that um, the federal government doesn't owe you anything. Yep. Um, what, how would you describe the most challenging perception that federal decision makers have of companies that are in the 8A program, and how have you overcome that challenge? Well, I think the, the biggest challenge for, for an 8A company is, you know, communicating your value. Because a lot of times you, you talk to people in the contracting office, be it a small business specialist or contracting officers, about your capabilities and, you know, how you are, are a great 8A company. But a lot of times you you can kind of see their eyes glaze over as soon as they hear the word 8A because, unfortunately, 
some of them have, have experienced being burned by some 8A companies in, in the past. You know, they've gotten some, the companies have been awarded 8A contracts and they perform to, to fail on them, which makes the 8A company look terribly bad, but, but it also makes the, makes the contracting officials look really bad also. And there's nothing, nothing worse than a contracting officer thinking, okay, this is not going, going to go well. So just the lack of uh, understanding of 8A companies and the value that you can, can bring. A lot of times, again, contracting officers, they're going to think, they're going to look at you as a risk. And you, you gotta, that's a hurdle you got to get over. The only way you can get over that is by selling who you are, you know, knowing your value proposition, knowing the value that you bring to the agency, and making sure that you clearly communicate that. Yep. So looking back over the last 15 years or so, what one thing would you do differently? I have a couple, but if, if I had <laughs> to choose number one, Shirley, it would be to, to look at your socioeconomic designation. I think I mentioned this earlier. Look at that as a marketing tool. Don't look at that as some form of entitlement because nothing is further from the truth. It's strictly a marketing tool. It's a tool to help you to grow your business and to help you develop your business, but nothing is guaranteed. And again, the federal government doesn't owe you anything because you're an AD company. That's just not, not the case. So look at it as strictly just a marketing tool and go and market, market, market. And you'd be surprised at what, what that does. Now, Devan, I know that you have been developing a pipeline and a more disciplined approach to federal business development. What advice would you give our audience regarding your pivot over the last 18 months? My first bit of advice, Shirley, is to make sure that you know who buys what you're selling, how they purchase it, and when. It makes no sense to, to, you know, be talking to someone in the procurement office, in the contracting office, about your particular service or your particular product, and they don't even, they don't even buy that. So it's important to understand who buys what you're selling. I mean, there are over 430 departments and agencies and sub-agencies within the federal government, and it's virtually impossible to market to all of them. So you need to determine, you know, who your target is and really, really stay, stay focused on that. Again, you can't, can't market it to everybody. So you really need to know who's buying your, your product or your service and staying focused on communicating your value to, to those agencies. You know, develop a clear marketing plan. Communicate it to everyone that's involved in it and make sure that you stick to it. I have just one caveat with that, Shirley, is, you know, with your marketing plan, don't, be, don't become inflexible. Leave a little bit of wiggle room in the plan whereby you're able to capitalize on opportunities that may develop quickly, you know, changes happen in the marketplace, and also problems arise. So, you know, don't be so rigid whereby you, you can't, you know, you can't uh, pivot because that's very, very important. And also... Be, make sure you're open to subcontracting opportunities with, with prime contractors also. I mean, that can be an easy way to, to, uh, to get some experience with an agency. It's, it's through a prime contractor. So make sure you're open to, uh, to subcontracting opportunities. So as we wrap up our discussion here, Devan, is there any final advice to our listeners? 
sure. Uh, just a few, few tidbits. Uh, number one, perception goes, goes a long way. You know, as a, as a small business, especially if you're in the 8A program, you know, consistently present a very professional appearance. You know, make, make sure that you may be a small company, but you don't have to give that small company um, feel to, to anyone. I mean, you can be small, but you can, you can feel big. So make sure you, you look, look big. And commit to, to working extra hard. Again, you've you got to be willing to do what others are not willing to do. Average, you know, in federal procurement just doesn't, doesn't cut it anymore. You've got to be above average, especially, again, if you are an 8A company, because, again, you've got to get over the hurdle of some contracting officers not really having uh, their very favorable opinions of 8A companies. So that's a hurdle you've got to get over. And, again, average just will not help you get, o- get over that. So, you know, market your capabilities first. You know, tell them about your past performance. The government wants to know what you, what you can do for them and not what they can do for you because you're an 8A company or, or something. So make sure you're communicating your value proposition to the government and what value you bring to, to them and to the agency. And, again, just deem whatever socioeconomic status you got as a marketing tool. I can't say that as enough, say that enough times, so rather. And you want to invest, invest in, in growth, invest in your business, invest in your employees, because it's important that you, again, that you have the right people around you that can help you move the company, the company forward. So you want to invest in, in the growth of your business. That's my advice, Shirley. Devan, thank you so much for your knowledge and your wisdom um, that you've developed over the last 15 years as the founder and CEO of a small government contracting business. You know, sharing your experience here today is very helpful to others who are just starting down that same path. I hope so. Well, thank you, Shirley. This was indeed a pleasure to be be here with you. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and to your audience. And, uh, you know, if there's anything I can ever do for you again, just let me know. Folks, if you want to get in touch with Devan, he can be reached at devan at com. That's D-E-V-A-N at C-Y-Q-U-E-S-T-H-R dot com. Or you can contact us here at Skeleton Market and we'll make sure you're connected. Thank you for listening. This is Shirley Collier signing off for now. Thank you for joining us today. For more information on how to grow your business in the federal marketplace, visit our website at scaletomarket.com. That's scale2market.com and subscribe to the Growth Masters Federal channel on Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our webinar series on the Scale to Market website. Join us again soon for another informative Growth Masters Federal podcast and have a great day.